This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Welcome back to Better Reading. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me back. <laughs> now, you were here with us a few years ago now, but it was Zoom. So it was during COVID and it was with Sam Tamimi. Was that right? It was. It was uh, It was March 2020. Our book was, was, <gasps> was, was published quite time. literally the night of um, the London went into lockdown and we were still slightly deluding ourselves that the launch party would happen and that the travels would happen. <laughs> and then like the rest of the world, we were we were floored. But it was funny because then on one hand, everyone was kind of in their kitchens cooking and using all the pantry staples that Palestine recipes were full of. So it was a funny old time for everyone. It really was. So many, I'd been making sourdough before COVID. Um, I, I took a class a few years back um, in San Francisco, right? But then my friends, knew that so when COVID hit I was doing COVID I was doing uh, not COVID tutorials I was doing (laughs) sourdough tutorials and I still am like today an author came into the office and said will you show me how to make sourdough so um so I've honed that in anyway it's fun (laughs) I felt that it made me a bit COVID made me a better baker me too yeah I suddenly was making bread for the first time really sort of whacking out the focaccia into into kind of big baking trays and and uh, the flour supplies of uh, UK yes. were diminished. <laughs> That's right. I remember that. Okay, let me introduce Tara. Tara is the in-house writer of Team Ottolenghi. Over the last decade, she has co-written eight major books, including Ottolenghi, Simple and Palestine. In addition to these, she writes the weekly Ottolenghi Guardian column and the monthly column in the New York Times. She has a dedicated following on Instagram, including myself, and writes about food in ways that audience is find engaging and informative. Very entertaining, I would say. So this is her latest book. It's called How to Butter Toast. Love the title. It's an antidote to cookbook overload. It is a recipe book without any recipes. In this collection of fun and entertaining rhymes, she makes cooking with ease a cinch for all cooks of all levels. You do. You really do. You make it look <laughs> super simple. Well, it should be more simple than than it is. I think there's a kind of paradox. On one hand, we have so much information, sort of too much information. We've all got too many cookbooks and we've read too many different ways to make the same dish. And then at the same time, we can sort of feel insecure about doing something like poaching an egg or making a tomato sauce or things that should be so simple, but we're kind of confused because there's just so much information out there. So I think there is a kind of real paradox that can be can be sort of tackled in a in a kind of fun way on one hand kind of calling it out and saying you know how how complicated can it be why are there so many different recipes for I mean avocado on toast 
and yet also kind of empowering people to to kind of try something really simple like making an omelette or poaching an egg that they can go through their life kind of not doing or roasting a chicken or making preserved lemons, which is so simple, you know, yet so impressive. You know, I, I must confess, people often, because you know, I love to cook and I've got a Lebanese background. So I grew up, you know, I, I think by the time I was nine or 10, I was cooking the family meal. But people think that I just cook without using cookbooks or without using any inspiration. And I'm not like that at all. Like I do follow recipes. I do read cookbooks. I get inspired. Now I'll make the recipe two or three times and then I might make it my own. But the first and the second time that I, I'm using a recipe, I try to stick to it because it's for me it's kind of like a learning process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think if I sort of don't understand when people say they can't cook because I, I believe that if you can read that you can yes. cook because as with you I I follow a recipe and I'm very habitual and in fact the only time I don't follow recipes is when I go to a kind of self-catering kind of Airbnb and then I'm suddenly without my scales and my measuring spoons and my books and then it becomes something different and I'm reminded that I do love that and that's actually a really good way to kind of cook and then you sort of taste more and you're more instinctive and just use what you've got. You've probably drawn on what you've read and the recipes that you've used. Yeah, absolutely. So you know the um the bread the it's the pita bread in Palestine, right? Now I've mm-hmm. now made it I don't know fifteen or twenty times, right? <laughs> and have so you made any changes? I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I can't get hold of the dried skim milk, and I might leave that out depending on where mm-hmm. I am. But no, not really. I mean, I do go back to the recipe, even though I know it off by hand. But I was making it one day in San Francisco, and it was terrible weather, and the power went out. So the oven, you know, like I had nothing. So I know, you know, I realized that the stovetop was gas. So I actually made them into pitters that weren't pockets, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and I did it on the stovetop. So, you know, I adapted and then I quite like those. So I've been making it that way or that way. <laughs> I you know. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's so many ways that if you read cookbooks, there's so many ways then that you can cook, I think. I think that's the thing. And, 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 and it's, it's like when people say, you know, I said, I haven't got something. Can I still make it? You know, oh, if, yeah. it's a new, if it's, a, like, of, of course you can. I think the, the, I think the person at home is, is uh, justified in being confused because there's a sort of misnomer that recipes are a sort of just complete list of instructions and absolute kind of rigid guidelines rather than just basically and suggestions not. of things, yeah. things you can do. So again, it's, it's kind of both things at the same time as, you know, and I think actually the, the premise of, of my book is that the fewer ingredients there are in a dish, actually the more confusion there is about it because people are so, there's so much conviction that that kind of someone's way is the only way to make a martini or peel a yeah. clove of garlic. So yeah, I think actually the fewer ingredients there are, somehow the more the more confusing it is. Even how to how to butter toast. Tell me how your career started because I think you and I are alike in that we've kind of landed in our dream jobs. Like, well, actually, mine doesn't even feel like work <laughs> ever. Here I am sitting here talking to you. No, that's not work for me. How did you get there? Tell me how it all came about. So my, I, I, I first worked in publishing for the first 10 years as a kind of junior editor in fiction, the middle market fiction, which was which was great. But then I had that slight thing where you look at your boss and you think, do you want to be, do you want to be your boss? And my boss was great, but I didn't want to be my yeah. boss. I didn't want that. I'm not very good at kind of 
parties or there's a lot of kind of networking and stuff that I just wasn't for me um then I had twins and thought that was a good opportunity to kind of uh, sort of shake the whole thing up so um <laughs> if ever there months, was a time <laughs> if ever there was a time so aged 18 months, I took them off to oh. cookery school in Ireland, which at the time I didn't think about. And now I look back at it and I okay. look at people who've got 18 month olds and just think, I honestly think like, what was I doing? Kind of going off for three months in the car with these twins and this dog that we'd picked up in Bosnia where we'd been living for a couple of years. What were you and doing in Bosnia? That was my husband's job that took us there. Oh, he was wow. working for the foreign office. So I was still doing my my kind of publishing work from Bosnia. Yes. I was able to do it freelance. And so it turned up at this cookery school. And of course, it was just full of either kind of 18-year-olds who were free out of university or kind of divorced men who'd never boiled an egg. And then there was <laughs> kind of a few of us in the middle age, 45, having our respective midlife crises. But that was incredible, that three months. It was really, really amazing. And suddenly in Ireland, everything was very easy in terms of childcare. And I just found someone who had a great big fish tank. And I think my twins just looked at these fish for three months, kind of going round and round and round. But that was fine. And then I came Better back. Better than television. <laughs> Better than television. It's basically octonauts, real life octonauts. Yeah. Um, and then I came back to London and then I was trying to work in restaurants for about three or four months before I looked around the kitchens and realised there was a reason there was no other young mums in the kitchen. Like it was a completely ridiculously unpractical yeah. idea because I'd be getting home at 1.30 in the morning and then getting up five hours later. And I remember cycling along Upper Street in North London and it was snowing and it was at one in the morning and I was skidding along and I just... <laughs> Had this real moment of like, what am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing? And then I went for an interview at a new restaurant that Ossolengi was setting up called Noppy in London, which is a beautiful restaurant. And they were just starting out. And I had a lovely interview with Sarit Packer, who now uh, has a brilliant little chain of restaurants called Honey and Co and Honey and Smoke in London. And she was absolutely no nonsense uh, with me and said, what are you doing? You have these two-year-old twins. What you're trying to do is completely impractical. Just go home, calm down, just do something from home and then come back to us when you can just sort of think straight. And so I was, I was at home and I was kind of filling up people's fridges and freezers for about six weeks. You know, I'd get like vouchers if someone had a baby and then I'd it, but slightly thinking like why have I quit publishing what am I doing anyway one day I got this phone call from someone that I thought was I actually thought it was my husband pretending to be Yotam because Yotam Ottolenghi was my complete kind of my complete hero my complete yeah. desert island chef and he said hi there I'm looking for someone who's got a background in kind of words and writing but who's also really into cooking but someone who's not a professional chef because I need someone to help me with recipes who's a home cook who's much more kind of practical than a professional chef and I've heard about you from Sarit and it sounds like you're sort of straddling these two worlds so he was very kind to say that because I thought I was falling between these two stools but he <laughs> called it kind of straddling two worlds <laughs> Um, so he described, as you say, this kind of dream job where someone I could I could write, I, I could understand words, and yeah, so a writer as much as a eater and a cook and and someone who cooks. So he said, you know, what do you think? And I was like, is this Chris pretending? Are you? Is this like you yes. pulling a big kind of? And uh, anyway, was your time? That was the Thursday, and I turned up at his house in his flat at the time. There was no no test kitchen three days later and even to the point of him opening the door I still thought there was some kind of joke and as you say I spent the first two three you know first few years just cycling to his house every day just thinking 
I, I cannot believe I'm being paid and this is called a job. And yeah. I'm going to Yotam's house and I'm we're sort of putting together recipes and I'm going home and writing them up. And it was all very low key and just just him and I. That was kind of 12 years ago. And then everything's got kind of bigger and we've moved to test kitchens and there's more people now involved in in the team. But that's how it all started, just completely shooting in all directions, not really thinking through the practicalities. Uh, and then the luck of timing and the joy of straddling two worlds or falling between stools, depending yeah. on how you look at that. I've got a question. So before, did you grow up loving food? Did you grow up in a family where food was valued, where taste was valued? Tell me how, yeah. where the love of food came from. <laughs> the love of food. I mean, I've got two brothers and me and one of them have always been massive eaters. So always kind of loved eating yeah. literally kind of putting food in our mouths to the point that my mum gave us both a worming pill once when we were teenagers because she actually <laughs> thought there was something wrong with us because she couldn't believe we were like horses how much we ate so I think my love of kind of cooking came from a love of eating and then wanting to kind of make nice things to eat and mum was mum was great cook but kind of banging out the the family yeah. meals lots of kind of you know pork fillets and yeah sort of roast chickens and but it wasn't until I discovered Ottolenghi at university when I started cooking that my mind kind of really exploded I remember when I made my first ever Ottolenghi dish it was this noodle salad with um cubes of aubergine and mango I think yeah. it's in plenty and I just it was just such a it was just it completely blew my mind and then I just fell down this kind of olive oil lemon tahini feta world and have just never emerged <laughs> Neither have I. <laughs> why would you? I know. Why would you? So I always felt, and I don't know, you're probably a generation below me because you're younger than I am. But for a long time when I was growing up, it was not fashionable to love food and to read cookbooks. Did you ever cross that path? Or when you came into it, it was fashionable? Because I, I used to be a secret cookbook reader for a while. Yeah. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because you meet some people yeah. who who kind of laugh about the concept of people who go to bed with a cookbook. And then I'm I'm sort of incredulous that there are people who don't do that. So, yeah. so it, yeah. the world is kind of divided. But, you know, it's like with your screensaver on your phone. It's yeah. either your children or, or some yeah. tomatoes, isn't it? Like, yeah. for yeah. me, why would you have children when you could have your tomatoes or your leeks, yeah. depending on the season, is your screensaver? But actually, I was thinking about it yesterday because I was sitting... I've been thinking a lot recently about voice and tone of voice and how we all find our voice. Yeah. Um, and I always go back to How to Eat by, don't need to say, yes. Nigella Lawson. And um, Do you know she came sitting, to my place for dinner? I know well, I she did. <laughs> I told you that. Have you, told, have you ever told anyone else that or you just keep that little one to yourself? <laughs> yeah, it's a secret. <laughs> when, when Nigella came over. Um, but I, whenever I kind of, whenever I'm picking out a book, I always, always just go back to how to eat because it's so, it's so comforting, comforting and reassuring. Yeah. But I was thinking yesterday as I was sitting reading it, like when when did I first start doing this? And I realised actually it wasn't till my twins were four. So I've actually only been doing it for the last decade, but I didn't do it. So I'm 45 now. So I didn't start doing it till I was about 35, like really just reading. So whenever I'm having lunch at home, I'll always just read a cookbook while yes. I'm having lunch. Yes. Um, and get such a connection from particularly female cookbook sort of authors. So I didn't grow up doing it, but now I very, very much 
do do it and I get real comfort from the connection of of uh realizing that my experience of feeding a family feeding myself is is a really kind of shared but also somehow quite private one between the likes of Nigella Lawson or Laurie Colwyn or Nora Ephron or whoever our favorite people women are who write about food hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When I'm um, watching television, I'm not the person that picks up the phone and scrolls. I'm the person that has three or four cookbooks next to me. And I've always got a cookbook in my hand if I'm watching something. I'm always <laughs> flicking. I am. I'm always, I've always got a book and I'm flicking through it. And just to be inspired, just to, I don't know. I just, I love it so much. I think if I, think if I take my cookbooks to the sofa, my husband's actually going to give up on me. If, there's yeah. like, if, I, if I take the window. No, I've got my tapestry at night. That's, yeah. That just stops me eating well, too much chocolate. If I've got yeah, that yeah. Night. Well, I live alone so I can do that. But anyway, tell me about the new book. How about a toast and by the way I just love the title so much <laughs> well it was called how to boil an egg but then we realized that had been officially taken yeah. by um, yeah. by many others so how to bust toast I mean it's a funny one because it seems like a sort of ridiculous title for a, a book but then actually it really generates a lot of conversations because you you sort of dig in a little bit and then actually yeah. everyone's got really different opinions I mean back to Nigella she kind of pretty much set the internet on fire last year by telling everyone her sort of way of the twice buttering toast you sort of yeah. let the first one sort of melt in and then put it on top so so anyway how to butter toast is one of about 30 rhymes in the book which are all called kind of how to so it's how to make a martini how to roast a chicken how to boil an egg how to make a tomato sauce all these really really simple things and each rhyme kind of takes in all the different ways you can do things and then concludes and reassures the reader that sort of whatever you do if you think it tastes nice and it works for you that's that's kind of fine just just crack on with that like there's not one right or wrong way to do things so it's uh as you said at the at the top it's a kind of almost a sort of antidote to the definitive cookbook it's a it's a fun irreverent but also quite informed sort of uh entertaining book about all the different ways to do these really, really, really simple Well, because things. I think sometimes as we, you know, we, we've alluded to that too here, but people are daunted by a recipe, but they're not daunted. Like people often ask me how to roast a chicken. Now that's not a recipe, right? So mm. it's really just in the telling, don't you think? Mm. And that's what Absolutely. your book does. But then this is kind of, the book almost started from my big, big kind of secret was that I feel insecure about how to roast the chicken and yeah I've I've sort of been involved in the writing of books that have told millions of people how to roast the chicken and you know Ottolenghi Simple for example there is an yeah. absolutely foolproof beautiful in fact two uh roast chickens and yet the truth is if you start with good quality meat 
like you sort of can't go wrong you know oil or butter 190 or 200 lemon or rosemary yeah one hour or one all these all these variables that we kind of obsess about do we sort of turn it upside down do we put it on its side we overthink it we overthink it but then I've been making these little Instagram videos and they run up to publication and and sort of cycling around London speaking to everyone about how they roast a chicken and then it's fascinating people telling me things that I have never ever thought to do sort of taking off the legs two-thirds of the way through and and chucking in a bottle of cider or doing it upside down and all these all these um all these quirks but then I find it so you should never assume that someone knows what you take for granted so when I'm making hummus for example I completely take it for granted that I'm using Arabic creamy nutty tahini um I'm not putting olive oil in the mix I'm using lemon juice garlic but then a lot of people are putting olive oil into their hummus and they're wondering why it gets claggy and thick and so these kind of basic things that we think are so obvious are still still not you know I was watching um I don't know if the bear has hit hit Australia the series and I was watching it last night and this guy has just gone to culinary school in the second episode of the second series and I'm screaming through the the screen just saying can't someone help tell him how to hold a knife like he's just not kind of holding his knife he's not rocking it like these simple basic skills that can really then free you up and also too if you're talking about equipment I mean you just need one good sharp knife you know it's just to buy a block of knives is almost futile you know (laughs) because they're all going to be blunt soon and you won't be able to use any of them so yeah I feel as though you need to buy one thing and then maintain it like don't buy three pots just buy you know one or two that you think you're going to use people often and I'm not sure how you feel about this and I'm not sure if you're the cook um, at home daily with with your family. But people often say to me, oh, Cheryl, you know, you're such a great cook and love it. I love to hear that. However, I feel that I am a good cook because I'm not doing it every night. I'm doing it like once or twice a week. And mm-hmm. so I can think about it. I can ponder. I can go through my cookbooks. I'm always thinking about the person that's coming to dinner or the people that are coming to dinner and what do they like and what they don't like. I don't have to cook every day. And I often wonder if I did have to do that, would I be a good cook? Maybe not. Tell <laughs> <laughs> mm, me about that. I want to know. Wow. Well, I guess what I'm getting to there is, is your everyday, every night cooking the same as cooking for people, cooking for friends, having people for dinner? I mean, I think I, I mean, yeah, I I think I am probably more sort of, I find it quite difficult to eat food that's not, that I don't think is sort of delicious. So my way of getting around that is that I'm a complete compulsive batch cooker. So Ah. on a, let's say twice a week, I'll spend kind of five hours just as though I'm running a restaurant, literally my yeah. mise en place, bush, 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 Tupperware, freezer here, fridge there. I'm like some kind of, you know, five hour machine. And then as a result, my fridge and my freezer is basically restaurant. It, it's kind of, it, it, it's as though I'm ready to open a restaurant and then I can be a short order cook for the kind of next three or four days <laughs> because after 14 years of trying to make my family eat the same thing, I've, I've realised actually happiness and togetherness is going to be helped if we actually chill out and can sometimes eat different things, but at the same time. So I'm, but it's all there. So for me, I've invested that five hours and then that'll get me through for the next three days, three, four days. So I've got my big batch of 
Babaganoush. At the moment, I've got this tarragon spinach hazelnut pesto that's on heavy rotation. I've got my shatha from yeah. uh, Falasin, my chili sauce. I've got. Uh, I've made that so, so many times. Ready. Yeah. So I can just literally yeah. pull it out. But then we've also got, let's say, 10 meals on heavy rotation, and my kids are pretty relaxed about eating the same thing. So I'm not. I'm not kind of going around the world every night with a different cuisine. And I'm certainly not coming home from work and chopping an onion. Um, yeah. Actually, if anything, I do all my cooking early in the morning. So I'll I kind of char my aubergines and roast my veggies in the morning because I love eating food at room temperature. And then, and then actually, ironically, when I do give up and can't be bothered and have got no energy and we have a pizza or uh, baked beans or scrambled eggs, it's then that my kids say, oh, I love you. Thanks, mum. I was like, hang on, but this is the opposite of love. This is me giving up. And then you're saying, so it's all messed up. But I certainly am not doing it. I'm doing it because I love to eat as well. I'm not doing it from a kind of martyr. I think if you yeah. want to cut loads of corners, get your kind of boxes that you have your meals or that's totally fine if everyone's happy. Like if you're not yeah. a happy kind of mother, cook, chef, whatever it is, then it's the whole thing's going to be, the association's going to be so negative, aren't they, of, of eating. Do you but all think, eat together? Um, is that possible with teenagers? Together? I like kind of breakfast and lunch together. I actually find... Because supper, I actually want to spend a lot longer eating than they do. Yeah. So actually, often often at supper, I'm sort of chopping in in the kitchen with them. But I actually find I actually find it more relaxing and kind of more chatty. Because um, I think we expect a lot from mealtimes with kids. Yeah. Like, yeah, I we do. Love, I personally love eating and not talking at the same time. I find the two things a little bit stressful. And I think we can we can expect a lot from kids. Like, how are you? Talk to us. Entertain yeah. us. Sit up. Be polite. Eat. So sometimes actually the kids kind of come to the meal and they bring a book or I'm chatting and it's just a bit kind of, it's just a bit more relaxed. I think our our kind of model for mealtimes can be a bit sort of Victorian almost. It's as though we have this bunch of staff who are going to kind of appear with this meal where we can all sit perfectly and eat it in unison. Like that's just not the reality is it, for no, everyone. No, it's not. Do you think any of your children will be cooks? Do you think that it's hereditary? Um, <laughs> Has it been passed down the line? Well, I started this year. This, we, this year, we started a thing where, because my oldest are now fourteen, I've got twins, yeah. and so we had once once a week, everyone has to cook a meal and kind of own it, and and also sort out all the ingredients for themselves rather than it kind of becoming more work for me. So it was Theo's turn when we started off, and then he was ordering all his own ingredients, and then this big package arrived, and I opened this thing, and it was about seven hundred and fifty grams, and it just had three letters on the front: M S G. What? What? He got this big pack of MSG. I was like, "What are we having for dinner?" And we were having microwave MSG pea shoots with with uh, with salmon. Anyway, so that was Theo's one meal. Yeah. So I've now taken taken over from him. Um, (laughs) And then Scarlett at her her school, they do they do lots of kind of FN feed nutrition. So she's doing that for GCSE. So she's she's into it. She loves it. Um, and then Casper, the youngest one, just loves baking and and kind of. In fact, he's having a cake sale now as I speak out front with some fridge cake. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and is it that um, now that you've got this profile and uh, you you know you're well known in the area, you're up there, I think, with all the others. Uh, do you um, your relationship with your friends has that changed? Is it like dinner at Tara's or nothing? You know, <laughs> is uh-huh. it that people want to come? Come to you. I'd like 
I'd like to say no, no, no. Of course, that's not the case. But actually, yes, 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 that's the case. <laughs> but actually, the the uh, the caveat is that I love not going out. So yeah, I'm I would, uh, I'll go a long way yeah. to kind of avoid going out, even if that means inviting twenty five people yeah. out for supper rather than going to have to sit in a pub. So yes, but also as as with everyone, it's just then so nice to to go out and. And be fed, but yeah, it is it is supper at mine, but that's not from any kind of martyry thing. It's just I love it. My buddies yeah. love it, yeah, and I don't have to go out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of my um, happiest times is when I've got friends coming over, and I've got a couple of days of getting it together, and you know, I've gotten into this habit of cooking a Sunday roast um, and inviting different people on a Sunday night. And um, one of my friends said to me the other day, this is lovely, Cheryl. You know, this is so easy for me to come here on a Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet it is. But I I do love it. I do love it. I love um, having people around a table. And I've always had a table that seats eight to 12 people. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting because I'm like you. I sort of I love that two days kind of prep and thinking about it and planning. But when people come over, I'm then actually really a bit frantic if I still have to cook. And that was the the kind of origin behind the book Otolenghi Simple, because um, we looked at all these different ways that cooking can be simple for different people. So for me, I'm, as, as I said, a real batch maker, real cook ahead, real advanced. Whereas my husband is absolutely someone who wouldn't even start cooking until eight yeah. people are in the house and then he'll start yeah. and the flames are on. And I mean, that for me is completely stressful. Oh, definitely. So it's, it's different, isn't it? And then it's yeah. like knowing, knowing what yeah. sort of cook you are. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, there's another thing that I like about cooking, and I wonder if you um, have this feeling too. If I'm in a kitchen with somebody who is equally enjoying it, equally loves cooking, and you're cooking side by side, and I've got a friend in San Francisco that I do this with, that has got to be, one for me, one of the most intimate interactions I can have. Do you feel the same about that? I know it's weird. Uh, it, but it, I, completely. It, it, yes. Actually, I have it with very few people um and my husband always jokes that he was always really delighted when he found out the yotam was married to a man because i was going to (laughs) yotam's house we were cooking together which as you say is so intimate it's like kind of brushing your teeth with someone and you're you know the the kind of the physicality of it and the dancing and the movement or the tasting and i think there's very few people where that really clicks and works because you know there's a control thing going on there's a power play well it's also like, and it's just there's yeah. a lot going on you know? well it's like you're speaking the same language don't you think yeah yeah, yeah. I mean that's why everyone loves you know the kind of Julia and Julia yes. film you know, the, the sort of the dynamic between Julia Child and her husband is just so yeah. beautiful isn't it that kind of yeah. sharing off each other's spoons I mean that's not my reality at all <laughs> So yeah, it's, it's completely intimate, and yeah. but I think this, I think I think the same of eating. I think if you're, I think to feel really relaxed around someone that you're eating with is yeah. equally kind of yeah, intimate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now listen, we've got to go, but I just wanted to ask: Have you been to Australia? I haven't. I've just been on holiday with with a lovely group of Aussies, so so uh, I feel like I've got a slight uptick in my voice as a result. But no, 
I, you've got to come to Sydney. Yeah, you got to come to Sydney. you got to come over for dinner. Oh, please, me and Nigella, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll have you both over. All right, Tara, the book is called oh. How to Butter Toast. Congratulations and thank you so much for chatting with me tonight. Thanks for chatting. So lovely. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.